Hello, and welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. This is episode six. We're piecing it all together. P E A C I N G. <laughs> we are so grateful for all of the support and the shares and the interactions that we've been having. We had a great first week uh, with this podcast, and we want to say thank you to everybody who jumped in and uh, picked us up. And thanks to Thomas J. Ord. Let's not forget him. Yes. Yeah. Helped us promote it and let people know that uh, we were broadcasting. That was a, a good conversation. You, and that was episode four, um... You had not heard the audio since we recorded that last fall, right. but you got a chance to listen to it. you have any thoughts? This, this is what we're talking about today. We're, we're going to debrief episode four for episode six. You know, I like to hear my wife talk. Yeah. Which she does not like to no, like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she did a great job and actually got um, some good feedback. It really caused people to think about some things. And um, so I'm glad that we were able to get her voice on there one time. It's probably the only time you'll ever hear from Edith, yeah, but I'm glad we got it in there. Yeah. And, you know, I was, um, I think uh, Thomas asked some good questions, you know. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, that, that was a, a different kind of setting because we were sort of in a, sort of like a, uh, a group of people sitting around us, so we were somewhat like in a uh, being viewed through a glass window or something. I don't know, kind of. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I like to change up the furniture when I, whether it's at church or when we're having a group like that. I always like to change up the furniture and say, you know, how do we facilitate this so that it's not a performance or right. a stage show? And so we, you guys, were completely encircled. Uh, you were sitting at this table, and you were completely encircled, and so we were really listening in on your conversation with Tom. Yeah, and you know, I, we're not doing this to entertain people, right? I mean, um, if I was, I'd, I'd be a lot funnier. Yeah. yeah but we want to we want to have conversations that help us as human beings to think through things, and I I think that's um, my main goal. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, I. We live in a society of spectacle where we have moved. This is uh, one of the guys I like so much, Gita Boer. He says we've moved in, in, from our grandparents' time. We have moved from primarily being focused on being mm-hmm. to having mm-hmm. now to appearing. Oh, And so in a society of spectacle, there is something really... Um, I'm allergic to. It's disturbing to me how much of what I see is spectacle. I long for something more substantial and deeper. And so one of the reasons that I spend my days the way I do and that I have the focus of my life the way I do in relational uh, focus is because I, don't, I have no interest in contributing to the problem. Yeah. I really want to help people engage heart, mind, and body in things that bring us peace and health and wholeness and relationship community. I'm all about connection, man. Yeah. So we want to walk in a good way, as we say. Oh, you know, um, I used to, you know, have quite a pulpit and um, a platform and I'm pretty good preacher. 
and I can put on a show, but it's just not satisfying. So I'd much rather sit down with people across the table and have conversations and then open it up for feedback. I'd much rather facilitate like an orchestra Mm -hmm. conductor, a bigger conversation than to be center stage in the spotlight. Yeah. When, when I, I'm a professional professor mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I teach and often I've got anywhere from uh, a dozen to 30, uh, what I call co-learners out there. And, um, and usually when I come home, uh, Edith asked me, how was class? And the first thing I think of is, did I learn anything? Oh, wow. If I learned something, I think it was a good class. Um, uh, but but I don't ever want to be that guy who's the only one drawing attention to himself and saying I know everything. Um, there's so much to learn. Your your teaching style in the classroom is very similar to my pastoring style in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I think it's why um, we connected so quickly and why even to these days why we get so much from each other is that we really have a same value. Um, we have different contexts, the way that it, you know, where it expresses itself, but that we value the same things. And so there's a lot of cross learning there. I really enjoy your teaching style and I've seen so much fruit, not just in myself, but in, um, other students and just how much comes out of it. It's so much more fruitful and effective than a lecture style where you have all of the information as the expert. We are a blank slate and then you pour out your information in lectures and we write it down and then you test us on how well we learned it. Your style, the conversational style is so much more effective than that. Yeah. And so uh, of course the, the book that I draw from so much is uh, Paulo Freire's book, the pedagogy of the oppressed which basically is what you described, the, what he called the, the um, banking deposit style learning. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, and you introduced me to a book called We Make the Road by Walking. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation between him and Miles Horton. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if people are interested in that, that might be something. They uh, could... it's, a, it's a great book. Um, it's the same name as uh, Brian McLaren kind of ripped that name off on a book lately also and gave it, <laughs> his book the same name, but these are two different yeah. books. <laughs> That's true. When you do Google We Make the Road by Walking, there are two books that come up, so make sure to uh, look at that. They're both good, but they're very different. <laughs> hey, the feedback that people wanted to talk about from the conversation with Thomas J. Ord was um, caught people's attention that you and Edith no longer call yourself Christians. And so there was a little bit of a conversation online about that, so I thought that might be a fun thing for you and I to talk about. Um, I'm curious when you made your transition, and then I'll tell you um, the day that I gave up on the title as well. So, how did you uh, how did you make that transition? What 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 was the impetus there? What happened? Well, I, I think we struggled for a long time, and I I don't know that this is even uh, you know a thing that I want to go. Okay, so I want to be known by this, right? Uh, I, I think a number of things came together for us. One is we got tired of the um, uh, spectacle, as you called it, um, where uh, a lot of things were just wrote, learned experience, and people came in order to sort of 
um, fulfill an expectation and act a certain way, which which to us, and uh, we, we might be wrong in this, but we're just talking about our own experience. I'm talking about my experience. Um, was a way to avoid um, being sharing one's heart rather than actually becoming vulnerable and sharing and being real with each other. And so church becomes the, uh, the Christian churches that we were involved with, at least, and there's lots of different kinds and, and they're not all the same, of course, but um, has become often a place where you come to hide as opposed to be found. And um, my understanding of Creator uh, and my understanding of Jesus is, first of all, um, one who is uh, totally vulnerable, one who gives um, Jesus gives his heart away so many often, so times, and, and and challenges others to do that, to go to the heart of the matter, and and to be real with one another. And so, so there was that, um, and then there was this other thing that I've been struggling with really. Um, back in, uh, oh, that was probably in 1975, 76, um, when I began to, um, look at sort of what, what's this Christian thing about? Um, and that was that it, it finally sort of, I had to admit that I don't think Jesus ever intended to found Christianity. So I understand historically how movements start, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think what is happening now and probably has happened since the, at least the third century with the Constantinian uh, marriage with empire, um, that's almost the opposite of what Jesus came to found. That's not in, uh, endemic of his character um, or what he taught. And so... Um, if Jesus didn't found today's Christianity, and of course it has the name Christ, mm-hmm. it's founded after him, then something's wrong. Something's, uh, you know, there's, and so, uh, you know, I note that he never became a Christian. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I wonder, well, then what is this thing? And so, and, and let me uh, um, uh, share, uh, I don't know if I've shared before about my metaphor of walking in the church and, and, uh, Someone taps me on the shoulder, and I, I turned around, and that was the last time I, I really attended as a regular attendee, and I turned around, and Jesus was there. And I looked, and so we're standing in the front, outside the church, and I, I said, Jesus, oh, it's good to see you. And, and uh, I said, come on, let's go in. And Jesus said, no, you go ahead, I'll wait for you out here. <laughs> and that sort of, that little story, um, I think, um, shows my point that um, uh, that uh, uh, that God is at work creator is at work outside the church probably much more than God is at work inside the church um, and the problem with I'm not saying God is absent from the church although God may be um, but uh, The church has created, uh, Christianity has created this bubble where they think that God is only or almost exclusively at work in the church and through the church. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not comfortable limiting God that way. Yeah. You know, 
up till about five or six years ago, I was working really hard to be uh, an open-minded, um, what I called a big tent Christian. I was part of big tent Christianity. Um, I love, uh, you mentioned McLaren earlier, his generous orthodoxy mm-hmm. that he gets from Hans Frey. I love that style of Christianity. I, I just don't want to be uh, the type of person that assumes that um, you know I'm right and everyone else is doing it wrong. And so I just don't think that that benefits the, the world. I don't think that's what the world needs right now is for some preachers to say, um, you know, we're doing it right. Those other denominations, right? So I was working really hard to say, these are all valid ways. These are all valid Christianities. Different denominations bring different strengths, right? We're one big family. We just live in different places. Like I was working really hard at this. And then Sarah Palin said that waterboarding is how we baptize terrorists. And I realized that what when something has strayed so far from the teachings of the founder that it's no longer, it's not just unrecognizable, but it's actually counter right. to the spirit of the founder. At that point, you have to draw a line and say, we have... We've crossed a watershed at this point. We have rolled over. We're no longer tethered to the original, right? We've come, we've come unmoored. Mm-hmm. And the drift is so profound that these two things are no longer the same thing. You can't say there are different species of apples. At some point, it's no longer an apple. Right. And, and I don't know what, at what point that is. I just know we've gotten there. I don't know when we crossed over, but I know we have crossed over. And that day that I heard her say that, my heart changed. Yeah. And I no longer tried to say all of these different expressions are all valid, but just diverse. And I've gotten much more cynical and I've gotten much more jaded and guarded and said, you know, there probably is a Christianity but it's not this. Yeah. And I think we're sort of at that point where uh, Andre the Giant says in Princess Bride, uh, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> I've heard you quote the Princess Bride more in the last week. That's hilarious. Did yeah. you watch it recently? Is that why no, this is also? I haven't seen it in years. Oh, but, my uh, gosh. That's hilarious. Our family has a series of kind of cult movies oh, like boy. Princess Bride and So I Married an Axe Murderer and yeah. Mickey Blue Eyes and some others that are great. We like to hilarious. watch them. So that's the day that I just decided, um, so I did the opposite move that you did. You dropped Christian and you say that you follow Jesus. And that was close to 10 years ago. Okay. So I actually, um, that's probably a healthier version than what I did. Well, wait, before you tell that, I want to, I want to clarify something because people might not understand what that means. What we did was to, uh, my wife and I, and we talked about this, and we kind of not did it together, but it was all happening about the same time. We were experiencing a lot of the same things. So, um, but we never, um, ever doubted our experiences with Jesus. Um, the things that the scriptures say about Jesus, uh, 
and our spiritual contact uh, with Jesus and our understanding of, of Jesus um, has has not changed or faded. It's actually become much richer because we, we understand um, God through Jesus as creator, great spirit, however you want to say it, in our own traditional native lifestyles and ceremonies and stories and things like that. So, uh, and I, I want to come back after you tell your story and, and maybe it, whenever it's time to close, tell a story that an elder told me that, that always taught me a great lesson. And this was a, lo- a long time ago, but I want to share that story. Oh, interesting. I wonder if it's, because uh, it might be my story. Oh. So the, one of the things that happened to me is I started reading Soren Kierkegaard. Mm-hmm. And um, he lived in a time where Christianity was kind of assumed uh, in right in in Europe, and so he said, "If everyone's a Christian, then no one's a Christian." Right. And he always said that he was just trying to be a Christian. It really impacted me reading Kierkegaard for the first time, and then I heard you tell a story where um, somebody asked an elder if he was a Christian. He said, "You'll have to ask my neighbors." Oh, yeah. And, no, that's not what I was going to say. Okay, yeah, that's okay. So that story came just weeks after I had read Kierkegaard, mm-hmm. and I adopted that. And so I decided that I was no longer a Christian. And in a Kierkegaardian sense, I was just going to try and be a Christian. But you'd have to ask my neighbors. I don't know if I'm a Christian. Hmm. You'd have to ask my neighbors. But then that got ugly because I realized I don't know what my neighbors would say because I don't follow Jesus. And I had to really be honest with myself and admit, I don't follow Jesus. So then I started getting funny and saying, good thing I'm a Christian, because that way I know I'm in and I don't have to follow Jesus. And I kind of let me, uh, it let me off the hook. And it's kind of my Kierkegaard, my cynical humor to joke that... Um, that I don't have to follow Jesus because I'm a card-carrying Christian. Yeah. And, um, but the truth is, it comes out of a humble place of realizing whatever I'm doing, I have strayed so far from Jesus's example and his message that I'm really not sure I'm doing this right. Well, for, for me, it's historic Christianity is what it is. People can go, oh, they weren't Christian. No, they were exactly Christian. Those who, you know, were in the Crusades, those who were uh, the Doctrine of Discovery, those who did the residential boarding school, those who literally killed, uh, stole, and destroyed in the name of Jesus, they were all Christians. And so so we were always like, well, is that what Christians do? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what Christians do. Historically, you can't, you really can't make a case and say, oh, well, there was, you know. So I actually do the same thing with World War II. I have to remind people all the time, the Germans were Christians. You literally could not be a German citizen unless you had been baptized Lutheran, right? I mean, that's how you become a citizen. And so in Christendom, that's how it worked. The Nazis were Christians. Because sometimes Americans like to say, like, well, like, we were the Christians and they were, like, the evil people. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. We're all Christians. That yep. was an, an inter-Christian war. <laughs> and so you can't say, oh, they, they, but they, they said they were Christians, but they weren't. No, yeah. no. They were. And so are we. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, in our community, it's probably a lot like the, uh, the uh, survivors of the Holocaust. A lot of our survivors of... Uh, 
residential boarding schools. Um, and, and some have actually found uh, this place with Jesus in spite of that. But there are lots more, I think, who have sort of said, well, I'll never be a Christian or I'll never go to a church or I'll never do it because the Christians are the ones that did this to us, right? And so, um, uh, you know, maybe things would change if the Christians uh, uh, turn around and, and admitted that and provided... Uh, um, uh, restitution and reconciliation and, you know, all those kinds of sort of things that, that uh, Jesus taught. Um, but I don't hear anybody offering to do that. Um, no. You know. No. You know, um, remember, I was talking about older movies. Um, there was a movie uh, with John Travolta called Michael, where he was an angel. Right. And he had this funny scene where he described what people think of an angel. Mm-hmm. And then he said... I'm not that kind of angel. <laughs> and I always hear that when people are saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It just, right. But you can't define yourself by what you're not. Right. And so I like that you have a positive, a constructive thing to say, you follow Jesus. I'm just in a place where um, I recognize how little I'm like Jesus. I think it's always interesting when people think, like their God is just a, basically a big version of them, right? <laughs> Values all the same things they value, dislikes all the same people they dislike. Right. It's a fascinating when God's just a big you, right? <laughs> I always try and point out to people, God's nothing like me. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so not like God and yeah. God is not like me. Yeah. And, and I always, the other thing that Christians do is they're always sort of going like, I want to be more like God, you know, I want to be more godlike. I want to be, and I'm like, I want to be more human because that's how God made me is to be a human being and to be fallible and vulnerable and to learn from my mistakes. And, and, uh, um, and I, I need someone who's not like me to point that out. Right. Well, I would love to get some feedback from people on what they are calling themselves. Uh, it would be great, actually, if maybe we'll create a little poll and just have people weigh in and tell us, what are you doing with this label? Do you yeah. not like labels? Do you have a better label? What's going on? I'm just, I'd just be curious in our listenership where people are with this, because I don't. we haven't been doing this long enough that I know our uh, demographic yet. I don't know like, who we're reaching and, and where they are on this. But I know this is an active conversation out there with a lot of people trying, you know, you have red letter Christians, you have all these different types of people. I follow Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower, different things. Um, so I would just love to get some feedback before you tell your story. Two things. We're going to try an experiment where uh, Randy had a group out here last week and he uh, took his recorder and was able to record a little bit of that conversation. And so at the end of the episode, stick around. We're going to have like an after party, if you will. We're going to attach that at the end so you can get a sense um, of of when groups come out here uh, to Ala Farm that what that conversation sounds like. Do you have anything else you want to say about that? Um, no, I, I hope I got enough, uh, cause I think I recorded it over it twice or something. So we'll see. I was just learning how to do the, the recorder. So. Great. And, uh, just before Randy tells his story, uh, we want to say thank you to all of you for subscribing 
for uh, sharing and for supporting through Patreon. And uh, we're really excited and we're going to be letting you know uh, upcoming both when we're recording so that you can give direction um, to the podcasts that are coming up. And we're also going to be setting a date for our first interactive podcast online for our $20 subscribers. So there's four levels of interaction that you can participate with us. There's a Facebook page where anybody, it's free, anybody can post. $1 a month support um, gets you into a private Facebook Facebook group group. where we can uh, engage at a little bit of a deeper level. The $10 a month, if you email in your questions or comments or even an audio file, a little MP3, we'll read that and play it on the air. And at $20 a month, you're going to be invited to that live recording. $10 gets your toe in the door. $10 gets your foot in the door. And $20 gets your face in the door. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a great tagline. <laughs> okay. So so uh, about uh, this story. So uh, Edith and I were asked to go up to uh, Wisconsin to uh, the Lacoudere Reservation and um, do some teaching and training of native uh, leaders. And so um, we were, we got there and I asked the people who were inviting us, who hosted us, um, who were non-native and non-tribal there, um, who did you guys get permission to be here from? And so they said, well, the pastor of the church. And I'm like, well, is he Lakutare? And did, no, he's uh, Mohawk. Well, did you? So I, so I said, so you've never really asked the, the tribal people on this land um, what uh, uh, that you were, you know, what you could do here, what you couldn't, or can you be here? And they said, yeah. And so for us, we always, wherever we traveled, when we were traveling around um, and speaking, we would always go to the local tribes and, and ask permission to be there, ask for their blessing if, they, if we could. And... Um, and so I, we looked up who's the person we need to talk to. Um, we found the person who is uh, basically one of the leaders of the, um, their um, tribal religion up there and also an a advisor to the tribal council on the elders council. And, and uh, went to him. I took an elder's basket and, and then basically to ask permission. And so um, I'll make this long story just a little bit longer uh, by he invited us in, uh, accepted our basket, um, asked what we did, began to talk a lot about um, uh, what Christians believe and what the, the tribal people there believe. But And every so often, and we were probably there for an hour and a half, two hours, uh, every so often he would insert this. He would say, my uncle, and he would name him, uh, he died when he was 108, and he trained most of the Geechee Dawan around here. He said, um, the, the big medicine people. Um, but he always told me, don't disrespect Jesus because Jesus is a great spirit. And, uh, and then, you know, he would go on and he would tell us more stories and ask more questions. And then, and then, and I probably four or five times he did that, interrupted the story and said, and my uncle always told me, you know, to, to don't disrespect Jesus because Jesus is a great spirit. And so, uh, finally, yeah, he, so finally he's, uh, he says at the right before he prayed a blessing over us and said we could be there. He said, uh, so I asked my uncle one time, I said, uncle, um, 
you know, how do you know all about these things that Jesus did that you've told me about? And, and uh, he said, uh, were you at boarding school? Did the priest teach you? Or, and he said, no, no. I said, I didn't go to boarding school. He said, and uh, the Catholics didn't have any, you know, influence on me or nobody, no missionaries, nothing. And, and he said, but uncle, you've told me stories about Jesus. How do you know those? And he goes, well, I told you several times. He said, I, I talked to him. He said, yeah, you said you talked to him, but how do you know about him? And he said, my uncle, he looked back at me with the strangest look. And he said, well, he talks back. And then the elder prayed for us. And I learned a great lesson that day. Um, I learned that Jesus uh, talks to everyone if they're listening. Well, friends, that is episode six. We would love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your comments, your questions. And now we're going to let you listen in on a group that was walking around with Randy. And uh, let us know what you think. We look forward to seeing you. character and know everything about God, but everybody outside the church, though, they don't know anything. That's that bubble. And I think Jesus meant to break the bubble. I think the Spirit can move in anybody's life out there. And the Spirit is moving in lots of people's lives out there. I dare say, trying to move in everyone's life. Any questions? Yes? No, we're the people who sell you baby plants. <laughs> we tried to sell at the farmer's market in Newburgh this year, and uh, we, we planted so much. It's the first time we went to we decide we're going to do farmer's market, right? So we planted so many seeds. In fact, all of those there, um, in fact, are, are like um, probably most of those are going to be extra plants that we got to find a place for. Um, so... Uh, we went to farmer's market twice and hardly sold anything and we're like there's just not enough foot traffic here and so we gave up on it so yeah and then we thought well we don't want to have to go to mcminnville or go all the way to tigard every every time and so we probably won't do that again but but yeah we do we plant everything from seeds um and that's part of the you know spirituality of it because I can tell you that every time I put a seed into the ground and then I see a plant come up, I'm surprised even still. It's just joy, right? It's like, you did it again! Y'all right! Good. And we talked to our plants. <laughs> so, because it's such a miracle. I mean, how can this little seed grow into a 14-foot sunflower, you know? Um, or this big pumpkin, or, you know... Uh, this this nourishing corn. By the way, we plant all of our stuff is old. So you ever heard that s- people say, if you tried to live off corn, you starved to death? That's corn after people messed with it. But I plant Cherokee corn and other native corn, like the one that went around. That's a Oaxaca corn, uh, Oaxaca green. Yeah, there it is. Um, and these are old corns, and these have between ten and twenty percent protein. 
Wow. Because there's not even 1% in the protein in the corn you're buying at the store. Even the organic, yeah? Yeah. So it, it's just, it has to do with the DNA of the seed. And so they've messed with it so, so much that all the good stuff's gone now. So um, we only plant old corn, we only plant old beans, we only can't plant mostly old squash because we want the most nourishment we can. And that's why these heritage breeds are so important. But they're also important if some of these new ones all get diseased, we think some of these heritage breeds will stand up and, and still be able to feed people. So if there's no more seeds, there's no more food. Because guess what? All the vegetables come from seeds. Yeah. Um, like that, we have these boxes, right? Straight ahead through, by the way, the restroom is just inside and to the left if you need to use it through that, through those doors. It's not the first door, it's the second door. It's in the laundry room. Um, but there, in fact, that door is open. That's interesting. Our, our seed door is open. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the air conditioner is going in there. Um, but we have this, if you look in there, there's like these plastic bins and we've got them in different containers in there and we keep that room dry and cold if, if as much as possible and it preserves the seeds. If, if the seeds get wet, they all germinate, right? So, yeah. So that's how we store them. Uh, yeah, and, and we'll store them in stuff like this. Yeah, but they gotta, you got to really make sure they're dry or everything in here molds. So we dry for a long time. We over-dry everything. If you could uncurse the ground, would you? Well, when, when it says that the ground is cursed, I think that just means that we have to work with it. So I still think that we have a good earth, right? But we got to work with it now, so that's the curse. So you wouldn't change in terms of work? I always like to have an easier life. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, I'm not sure how that would happen since the seeds need to have dirt on them and somebody has to plant them and somebody has to water them. But um, uh, uh, if there's a place that does that without me having to work, let me know. I'd like to move there and be a farmer. So. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else? Anybody here plants? Oh, go ahead. What percentage of like your day-to-day -day diet do you eat just straight from your farm? Mm -hmm. Me? Yep. Um, during the summertime, it's uh, once things really start coming in, it's I'd say seventy-five to eighty percent. And um, then during the winter, because I do a lot of canning. Mm -hmm. And then during the winter, it goes down to about 50%. And she says a lot of canning. We're talking about like two to 300 jars oh. you know, a year. Well, it's not just Randy and I that I got to feed. I got <coughs> grandkids. We got grandkids and then our kids. And so it's like they always come in and go, oh, here, take home some of this. Here, take, you know, oh, can we have some uh, whatever. So. Yeah. And then when we have abundance, um, so one of the things that um, – this word uh, of shalom really is about one of the, you know, there's, it's, it's like used over 500 times in scripture and in its derivative words. And um, some of the words that are used as shalom are abundance, fecundity, you know, those, it's that 
like the earth is producing the way it's supposed to, like your question, right? So it's, it's giving up its abundance the way that it's supposed to. And that's shalom. That's part of what shalom's about. So um, uh, we figure out the most natural processes to go along with God's design to do that and try to get the earth to produce its abundance. And then we share that with others. So we'll have a lot of times, especially when the fruit comes in, we just, you know, um, have lots of plums and lots of apples. And, and so we just start giving away whole, you know, five-gallon buckets of stuff when people come over. And we have a, we have a little community that meets here uh, for Sweat Lodge uh, once a month. We've, we've not been doing it lately. It's kind of um, taken a transition. But for the last, what, five, six years? Um, and everybody in the community takes home stuff when they when it comes in, and and uh, so our uh, it's called Elahe Farm, but our our motto is um, see if I can remember it now: <laughs> plant, grow, harvest, share. So we see that as our cycle. So plant, grow, harvest, share, and. Um, uh, so that we want other people to benefit from the abundance of the earth as well. So, and we also have groups that we share it with. So, um, my friend Ken Lloyd, uh, in the past, <coughs> he's not working with them now, but has worked with a, a group of um, um, homeless teenagers in Portland for years, and we've taken fruit and food down to them. Um, we've given some to. Um, a lady who has a preschool thing on the reservation at Grand Round. Um, and so we try to spread it around to people who, who need it as well. So, Randy, have you shared what Elohe means? No. So Elohe is a Cherokee and inward. Um, it basically is synonymous with the word shalom in Hebrew. So uh, it means like this fullness, this abundance. Nobody's at war with one another. Um, everybody's in right relationship. Um, everything's growing the way it should be. Um, so, and, and not utopia. Okay, I mean it's not like utopia, heaven idea, right? It's that we're human beings struggling through this, but we're we're working together on this. We're co-laboring together on this, and it's being worked out. So. Um, yeah, it's where justice is done. It's where um, mercy takes place. It's it's all of those kind of good things that what I would say are God's best intentions for humanity. That's what Elohe is. That's what Shalom is. Um, my Ph.D. dissertation was on uh, North American Native tribes and that harmony concept, I called it, harmony way. And different tribes have different names for it, like the Navajo, it's Hojon. But um, um, anybody here native? Indigenous from this land? Okay, I was going to ask you what your name is, but different tribes have different names. And I um, interviewed and surveyed people from 45 tribes across the United States and Canada, and all 45 had a Harmony Way construct. It was similar to Shalom or Elahe. And and they all meant basically the same thing. And there, then I was able to extract ten values from those that are pretty big values that uh, um, that everybody shared in common with 
shalom. Um, and when I say shalom, it was this Walter Brueggemann's idea of what shalom is. I used his uh, model. <coughs> so, so Elahe, basically, you could say harmony or harmony way or shalom or any of those kinds of words that, that mean um, creator's best intention for everyone. Elohe. And we have about... Uh, one of my hobbies when I lived back east was to find old Cherokee villages that had been forgotten. And, and I found um, five different villages that had the name Elohe. <laughs> one of them's still around, and they've um, corrupted the name. It's Ella J. Georgia, but that was Elohe. So it had to be a pretty special place for them to name their village that Elohe. So, any other questions? Comments? Anybody want to pick a fight or anything like that? <laughs> okay. Well, let's take let's take like a 15-20 minute break. Kind of wander around, do what you want. Restrooms are over there, and um, and then we'll come back. Um, Edith will start um, uh, getting this, yeah finishing up dinner so that when it's six o'clock we can eat. So, okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Just meander. You can walk, yeah, anywhere. Stay out of the greenhouse because there, we've got some plants that are germinating. There's sex going on, folks. Um, and we don't want anything brought from the outside to interfere with them right now. Thank you.